Good morning. It's good to see y'all here. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to go ahead and turn uh, to the Old Testament book of Ruth. Uh, the Old Testament book of Ruth, we will continue in our series called Not Forsaken that we have been in uh, since the beginning of the summer. Uh, and so we have uh, this week, uh, and then we have four, uh, wait, this week, five more weeks after this week in the, the book of Ruth. Uh, and so I, I hope that uh, it has been beneficial and challenging for you and encouraging to you all at the same time. Uh, and so if you haven't been with us, you can go to our, our website, crosspointchurch.org. And there on the homepage, you can see our sermon section uh, and things like that. And so it's, I, I, I pray and I trust that uh, this series will do uh, many things. One is just to uh, deepen our love for the Word of God and the sufficiency of the Word of God alone uh, and the way that we have been teaching it, not... Uh, the Word of God is sufficient within itself. It doesn't need uh, for us to pretty it up or anything like that. We just need to teach it. And so we believe that the Bible is sufficient. So therefore, if that's our belief, then we just need to teach the Bible. Uh, and so that I hope that uh, through this series, you've been able to see that. And I hope that as we continue on, that just our love for the Word will grow even more. And we talked about at the beginning of this uh, series that uh, through, through the book of Ruth, I'm hoping that our eyes can see that the greater storyline of Scripture. Uh, a lot of times when we look at the Old Testament and we look at the New Testament, it's hard to reconcile those two together. But when we look at the book of Ruth, uh, who just seems like this ordinary Jewish slash Moabite family that's just living ordinary life, uh, seems mundane, seems weird. What we understand is that even through this story that there's this one storyline through the scripture of redemption and that we can see it in this story right here. Uh, but if we were to be able to look at the, the whole the whole of scripture and see that this is God's redemptive story, this is God's redemptive plan. And I hope that as we see this, that uh, that we see that, but not just the greater storyline, but just that I, I trust that as we've been walking through that uh, there are things that Ruth walked through, Naomi walked through, this guy named Boaz who will continue to learn more, that, that God has spoken to you in your, and met your need where you are, uh, and because he can do all of those things. And so uh, anyway, so I forgot to say this, happy 4th of July and go Buell Dogs. Um, and so uh, Luke, uh, pray for Luke this morning. Uh, he is at First Baptist Church of Olo. I didn't know there was such a thing. Uh, but First Baptist Olo is somewhere between Hattiesburg and Columbia, but he is there this morning. Uh, their pastor is on sabbatical there. And so Luke's filling in uh, there. And then this week he will be, uh, Tuesday through Friday, he will be at Camp Baldwin and Foley. Alabama preaching a student camp. And so anyway, let's be in prayer for him as he ministers to those around. Uh, let's read Ruth chapter two. Uh, let's just read the first uh, three verses. Last week, Luke read the whole chapter. I'm not going to do that, but, uh, but let's just read the first uh, three verses and then it'll bring us uh, up to speed. And so uh, chapter two, verse one says, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, uh, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him uh, in whose sight uh, I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to, to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Uh, if you're not familiar with what's happened in chapter one, chapter one's really just setting up this scene right here. Chapter one begins with a guy named Elimelech taking his family uh, to, to Moab because there was a famine in Bethlehem. The house of bread had no bread, so they had to go uh, to, to Moab. And, and while in Moab, uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Uh, her sons marry two Moabite women, and then her sons die. And so it's, uh, it's Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. And then uh, Ruth, uh, or sorry, Naomi hears about that God visited Bethlehem again and that there had been produce. And so they decide to go back and Orpah stays in Moab and Ruth comes in. And so chapter one is just a really 
brings us up to speed, but kind of just sets up this place of despair and hopelessness. You have a, a widow, uh, two widows, a Moabite in Bethlehem, uh, so much so that at the end of chapter two, when Naomi gets back into Bethlehem and they say, is this Naomi, Naomi and which her name means pleasant, uh, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara or Mara, which means bitter. And so you, that just kind of sets up the thing. And then the end of chapter one tells us uh, really the timing or the season uh, when it says that the last verse, verse 22, they, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So that sets up chapter two where we have this picture now of, 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 of uh, Ruth going into the fields. We've been following a pattern of teaching over this series where we will tell the story, we will see the truth that's in the story, and then how it points to Christ. I don't have to expound a lot about the story because Luke did most of that last week, but I do want to make mention of a couple of things. And so really the story is broken down like this in chapter two, and I'm just going to give you all three of them, and then we will kind of go back and look. First of all, the first part of the story in chapter two is that it's Ruth seeking to find favor. Now, Ruth, in her situation, she understands her, her, her mother-in-law, we don't know how old Naomi is, but she's lived her life. She's grieving now. She's earned the right to grieve, uh, right? So she's, a, well, she's an older woman. She's, she's earned the right to really to grieve. And then you have Ruth, who is much younger, who eventually just says, all right, I got to go to work. Uh, it's, the beginning of, it's the beginning of barley harvest, and so, therefore, there would have been a buzz that was going in the year. I didn't grow up, I mean, I grew up here, but not really a, a farm town, but if you, if you grew up on a farm town and you knew, you know, or your parents were farmers, you knew the, the excitement that comes about whenever the harvest is here, or the work that we've been uh, doing, the seeds we've been planting. To, I guess the best thing that I can equate to that is like plant, planting food plots, and, and in South Mississippi, you got about a 25% chance that thing's not going to grow because when you plant it in September or uh, late August, September, early October, what happens? We have a drought every time beginning of deer season. And anyway, and so there has been a few times that stuff pops up and it's like, man, the deer are going to flock to this. And so anyway, in the, in, in, in the middle of Bethlehem, there's this buzz that's going on because the Lord had visited and, and, and she could see out into the fields these workers and she could probably see these foreigners and these uh, the poor that were gleaning there. And so there's this excitement that filled and, and Ruth says, all right, Naomi, is it okay if I go to a field to work? And, but we have to see that she went to seek Favor, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Number two is that the second half of this story is that we find out that Ruth finds favor in the fields of a man named Boaz. And so she gets there and she's gleaning, she's doing, really living out her privilege uh, that the, the law of the Lord has given her. Uh, and there she finds fa the favor that she was seeking in the fields of a man named Boaz. And then the last part of chapter two is that it's Ruth's sharing of that favor that she experienced with Naomi, both and the food that she brought, but also sharing the story of the favor that she had found. That's kind of how the story breaks down. Uh, and so there are two things that work that Luke mentioned last week that's going on in chapter two that, we, that I need us to grasp, that, especially this morning. There are two things that, that kind of are, are the backdrop of chapter two. That set up chapter two and even the rest of the story. The first thing is that I, I want us to see this is that is that the God's provision for the poor. Uh, the, chapter two doesn't exist without God's provision of the poor. And so uh, in Leviticus, uh, I'll actually read these to you so that you see what I'm talking about by this. In Luke, I'm in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, nor shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So we see in the Levitical law here that, that, that God's heart is for the poor, is for the needy, for the foreigner. And so what we're seeing is the beauty of God's law and his word on display that ultimately in the law we see God's 
character and how God is protecting and providing for. So in one sense in chapter two, the backdrop is, is God's provision for the poor. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, it says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. So ultimately what we're reading is if you're, if you're gathering crop and you drop something, don't bend over and pick it up. Leave it on the ground. Uh, and the reason is it says you should not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless. And check this out. The widow. I, and let's just keep that, how, how specific these Levitical laws are to this narrative, to this story, and how God used them. So, uh, for the widow, for the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So, one backdrop of chapter 2 is this God's provision for the poor and the needy. The second thing uh, that, 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 that we see is this leveret marriage. Uh, and so, uh, we'll expound upon that more in chapter 3, because that's when it comes about, but we have to begin to see it. That's why at the end of this chapter, Naomi like lightens up. That's like, because she's been bitter, right? And then when she finds out it's a guy named Boaz, she remembers, wait, he, he's kin to Elimelech. He, she, in her mind, she starts thinking about, wait, 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 there, there, there's something going on here. And this lever of marriage uh, in and, and Deuteronomy chapter 25, let me just kind of show you why this would have sparked Naomi's mind uh, towards hope. And Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6 says this, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, so if they, if they do not have any children there, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother to her. And this is why, verse 6. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. That's why at the end of this chapter, when Naomi says, no, God has not forsaken the living or the dead. She was thinking about Elimelech there. And so that's what's kind of going on in the backdrop. And it's important for us to see this. This is very important for the sermon today. When we're thinking about the law of God, it's important for us to see that both of these are God's law at work in the lives of Ruth and Naomi. I just need us to, to grasp that because that's going to be very, very important for where we're going. It's important to the story. It's important to our lives as, as well. Uh, it's, it's how and, and how we view the law and the word of God. So anyway, let's recap the story, the, the seeking to find favor, finding favor, and sharing that favor. Uh, verse 1 seems kind of out of the ordinary because the narrator uses a technique that narr narr the narrators did. And, and so you have this story. They, they return to Bethlehem, and it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And then all of a sudden, the narrator says, and there's a guy named Boaz. And that's all. There's a guy named Boaz who's from the, the clan of Elimelech. And then he jumps right back to the narrative again and goes to this Ruth and Naomi. And the reason why the narrator did that is for that very reason. So that if I, you and I were reading this story and we have this big dramatic moment that get to Bethlehem, it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And then all of a sudden we have this random verse about a guy who we don't know yet that's there. It would make you go, that seems random. And that's exactly why the narrator does that because it puts our eyes, we should be asking questions. Well, this guy named Boaz, he must be very important to the story. And so it's a technique that the writer is using there. And so he introduces the guy named uh, uh, Boaz, who's from the clan of Elimelech. He's a, he's a worthy He's a worthy man. And then in verse 2, he jumps back to the, north, the story, back to the narrative, back to where he had left off. And so chapter 1 ends by telling us what the season was. It was a season of barley harvest. As I mentioned this already, there would have been a, been a buzz in the air. God had visited his people and produced a harvest. It would have been an exciting time. And when we get to verse 2, we see this time Ruth, really uh, the first chapters are really most about, mostly about Naomi. And then we get to chapter 2, it, it, this, the Ruth, if this is a movie or a play, comes to center stage, if you will. And in verse 2, she asks, for Naomi to allow her to go to the fields to glean or to find favor. 
Now, how did Ruth know about this? Maybe she just saw it because there the harvest was going on and she saw workers doing that. Maybe she knew the Levitical law. Maybe she knew Naomi had taught her this. Maybe she had, had, had known these things. But anyway, she, she saw this and she asked Naomi if she could go find favor. And here's what's interesting to me. And I hope that we catch this. She knew that it was her right as a widow and a foreigner to glean in the field. However, she says, I'm going to find favor. Right? So there's the, there's the privilege there. She knows is her right in scripture that as a foreigner and a widow, she has the right and the privilege to go to the field and to glean. But at the same time, she knew she was at the mercy of the landowner, right? So she's, she's seeking favor. I'm, can I go find favor? She knew that it was her right, yet she, <clears throat> she knew that it was a God-given privilege to be able to walk into these fields, just to, <clears throat> to, to be able to glean. And, and that's a good thing for us to think about anyway, is the, the privilege that we have in God as, as his children, what Christ has afforded to us, the privilege we have of just being a child of God, right? Have you ever thought about the, the privilege that we have to call upon the Father at any time in our greatest time of need, that we can go to the throne of grace and mercy to receive a uh, time of help, receive uh, at our time of help, that this privilege that we see her having. She knew it was her right, but she also knew her condition. She knew that she was widowed. She knew that she was poor and needy and vulnerable. And the decision for her to say, hey, I'm going to go to this place, knew that there was a chance that she was going to be ridiculed or even taken advantage of. She knew the possible consequences. That's why she says, I'm going to go and I need to find favor. Favor that she's seeking is the same word for grace, ultimately, in the Old Testament. So ultimately, what she's saying is, I, I'm going out and I hope that I find grace. I hope that somebody treats me a way that even better than I should be treated. It's my privilege to be able to glean, but I'm hoping to find favor, ultimately to find grace. She knew that she would need to find provision and protection and acceptance. She knew that she needed a person of standing to accept her. She knew that she was fully at the mercy of another, but she didn't just sit back and wait. We can learn a lot from this. I'm not going to... to to hammer it because Luke did that pretty well last week that she didn't just sit back, but she, she walked in obedience and in her privilege. I want you to catch that. She walked in obedience and she walked in her privilege. And so here's a, this isn't one of the main truths. This is a, a side truth. In, in seasons of uncertainty, continue to walk in obedience and in the privilege you have as a child of God. This is our tendency as Western Christians. When life seems uncertain, we usually just crawl back. And we begin to throw our hands up, God, woe is me. But what, uh, just a, a, a principle that we see in Naomi, uh, Ruth, her life was very uncertain, but what did she do? She walked into obedience and the privilege of being a child of God. The privilege she had is to glean in these fields. That's very easy to see. But she continued to walk. She continued to take his steps. She continued to move forward. She continued to not, not bow down under her circumstances and the weight of life and the weight of guilt and the weight of pain and the, the weight of these things and the weight of what so-and-so may say. She didn't bow down to that. She didn't just become weak and just take the blows and say, woe is me and become a victim. But what she did was, is I'm going to walk in obedience and the privilege that I have. And listen to me, child of God, you... You and I, we have such great privilege in just being called children of God. 
That's what Jesus is trying to teach us in Luke about who our Father is, right? Who our Father is, who, who knows our every need, and, and, and He delights in giving us good gifts. And we live life oftentimes in a way that's like, that's, that's divorced from that reality. You listen to me, life stinks sometimes, right? It does. It's hard to keep going. Oh, but let's just look at Ruth that woke up that morning, probably wiped her eyes out, realized my life is going to be mundane, so I might as well keep walking. I might as well live in the privilege that God has afforded me as a, as a foreigner, as a widow. His word has completely laid out this privilege that I have, so I'm going to walk into that. Oh, child of God this morning, this, like, so this isn't even the main truth. If your life seems uncertain, if seems, things seem tough, if things seem too hard to, to keep going, I want to encourage you to continue to walk in obedience and to walk in the privilege you have of being his child. I got to keep moving because that's verse two. <clears throat> verse three uh, this is another tactic of the narrator. And so we meet this guy named, or we introduce to a guy named Boaz, who seems random. Ruth asks to go glean. Can I go seek favor? And then uh, the ESV writes, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to this guy named Boaz, who we just read about in verse one. It's really by her chance, she chanced upon it. It's, it's really what the narrator is trying to do is set up irony trying to set up this picture of like, there's a guy named Boaz, you know, Ruth saying, you know what? I'm going to go glean. I'm going to go do, I'm going to walk in my privilege. And then she just, ironic. Is it an ironic? Alanis Moore said, that's what I think about when I think of the word ironic. Don't you think? It's like, right. Anyway. And so she begins to just walk and, you know, and, and what's crazy is, is it, it, this is maybe me reading too much into an, a, uh, uh, a story is that it wasn't like she, I don't think it works just because it never happened to me. It ain't like she, God just all of a sudden told her, get up, walk, turn left, turn right turn, go this way, then go that way. No, she was just walking in obedience. She was walking in her privilege and she just happened in her seeking favor, she just happened to land in the field of a guy named Boaz. It's just random, if you will. See, and, and this, is, this is good, by the way. I want you to catch this. See, here at this moment, in Ruth's mind, she is setting out to find favor, to find grace, but what she learns is that grace was already looking and seeking for her. See, in Ruth's mind, she says, Naomi, can I go find favor? Can I go seek favor? And what she understands of the irony of the situation, she, finds, she goes into a field named Boaz, is that, hey, even before Ruth decided to seek favor, favor was already seeking her. That God was already orchestrating this plan to, 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 to benefit, to, to redeem her ultimately. That God was already using this, this famine, even that God was even using the, if, if Elimelech's going to Moab was disobedience and, and uh, their sons marrying, if all, God was even using those decisions, his sovereignty and all the affairs of man, even the sin of Elimelech and the sin of Malon and Kilion of, of marrying these Moabite women that God was even orchestrating that some years later, this Moabite widow would walk into the field of a man named Boaz. Even before the famine, God, through great, uh, God was already seeking this lady named Ruth. <clears throat> so she happened. That's what we see in verse three. She just chanced upon verses four through seven. Boaz finally comes onto the scene, and uh, <clears throat> when he gets there. Uh, this is where she finds favor. So really verses one through three are seeking favor. Verses four uh, through 16 are when she finds favor. When Boaz comes, we evidently understand he doesn't work in the fields, but he has a good relationship with his workers. <clears throat> Notice how he greets them in verse four when he says, 
Uh, And Boaz came to Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered him, the Lord bless you. We see a lot about who he is by the way that he greets people. His greeting, Alistair Begg, uh, says that you can tell a lot about a person and how they greet others. And so the way that he comes in and he greets them, may the Lord bless you. You could tell a lot about somebody by how they greet someone. And this is something that Ashley and I uh, do, and it's kind of started very early on. I've always been weird about it, is definitely early on in marriage, you think it's, you know, have a little argument or whatever, and you just try to hang up the phone and, or whatever. You don't say bye, don't say I love you. She tried to do that one time when we first got married, and I called her back and said, hey, I don't care how mad we are, we always say I love you and we always say goodbye. Because that may be the very last time we get to say those words. And here's the picture. Uh, and this is like side truth number two is make your hellos and goodbyes count, by the way. That, that, that's just a random thought. Because here we have this guy named uh, uh, Boaz. When he walks in and by his greeting, we know exactly what kind of man he is. It's in the middle of harvest, and we understood just by that statement that Boaz knew that he, he said, God, you know, God is the reason for his success. God is the reason for the harvest. He, he could, God is his provider. He knew who, we, we see that Boaz knew who was, was in his field. How do we know that he knew everybody in his field? Because he knew when there was somebody in his field that wasn't usually there. He knew, he was a very personal guy. He knew the people in his field. I need you to see that as well. <clears throat> in verse six, what we see is that Boaz said, who is this? And the servant said, well, this is who she is, this Moabite woman who came from the country of Moab. And she said to us, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued. Ultimately, what we see is, is that I think, as I said, I may be reading into enough, his reapers knew his heart enough that when she came to ask, they said, yes, stay. Because he wasn't there yet. But I think he was such a type of man, because even though that was the law of God, what was the period of time in the book of Ruth? It's time of the judges. This is a wicked time. That's why he places protection over her so that she doesn't get molested or anything else out in the field. And so, yes, she may have knew that was her privilege, but she still knew that it was on the mercy because not every landowner would do that. However, his reapers, his workers, must have knew him well enough that when she came to ask without him there, they said, yeah, you stay and work. That's important for us to catch. Because eventually we're going to get to this grand story of things. We're going to get there in a second. But they treated her, they treated her like they thought knew Boaz would. We got to move forward in the story. Verses 8 through 13, Boaz and Ruth finally start talking. Verses 8 and 9, he literally lays out protection and provision. She has found the favor she was seeking. And in verse 10, she says, why have I found favor in your eyes? Well, that word favor is what connects this whole story. It starts by her saying, I want to go find favor. And then when she found it, she says, why have I found favor in your eyes? And then eventually she says, may I continue in this favor? And so that's the progression of the favor thing. I know I need this. I know I need mercy. I know I need favor. But when she found favor, it was like, why have you found favor upon me? She found what she was looking for, but she couldn't believe it. She says, why have I found favor in your eyes? Ultimately, what she's saying is, how could you see me, see me in my condition, know that I'm a Moabite, know where I come from, yet still show me favor? She didn't say, about time you noticed, Boaz, I've been working here all day, and you've been lazy, just got here. I've earned this. And she also didn't say, I know it's my privilege. You've got to show me mercy, and you've got to show me grace. Now, she knew it was nothing in her, but she knew that she had found a gracious man named Boaz. And her response to his grace, his favor is, but why would you have favor on me? 
what we see in her is her response to favor is humility and gratitude. Even though it was her privilege to walk into this field, when she actually received the favor, it wasn't this sign of, yes, I'm good. It was, why would you find favor? Why would I find favor in your eyes? She knew it was only because of Boaz that she could remain where she was. See, I think she really knew her condition. And I really think that in Ruth's mind, she had already accepted the fact that she may be ridiculed, she may be violated, and she may be condemned. But when she got to that field, she didn't find what she thought she would find. What she found was acceptance, protection, privilege, and provision. This is getting rich, church. I can't wait to get to the truth. And we, verses 11, 12, we get Boaz's answer. And then verse 13, she says, again, I have found favor in, my, in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me. There's that actual tangible thing, this action. And then verse, the end of the verse, and you've spoken kindly to your servant. So in word and deed, he's been good to her. And she says, though I am not one of your servants, ultimately what she said was there, even though I'm not in the, I'm not in the standing. I'm not standing in a position that you should treat me this way. Do you notice how this chapter starts? A guy named Boaz who had standing. And now she says, but I have no standing. For some of you, gospel light bulbs are beginning to go off in your head and your heart, and we're going to get there in just a minute. Just stay with me. It's going to get richer. When she says, I have found favor, that's actually written in an imperfect tense, so it could be translated. Yours may be translated this way. She says in verse 10, uh, may I continue to find favor? As in, I am, I'm going to seek it. Why have I found it? But now that I've found it, I want to remain in it. Like this is where I want to stay. There's this progression. I'm seeking it. I can't believe I found it, but it's so good I want to stay there. That's also what she's saying. May I continue to find favor? Why? Because she said, because you've comforted me and you've spoken kindly to me. I want, I want to be in a place where I find comfort and I find words of life and words of encouragement. Verses 14 through 16 is Boaz to Ruth. And ultimately what we see is that in, in verse 8 and 9, really, and before that, he is fulfilling the demands of the law. He's just being a good Jewish boy and doing what the Lord told him. But what happens is in verses 14 through 16, he does what the law can't do and doesn't do. And it's an abundant grace and a, an abundant love and it's an abundant acceptance. It's a, an abundant privilege whenever he brings her and says, eat some bread and dip this morsel into wine. And then he tells the reapers uh, to, to provide more for her. There's this abundant grace. And finally, in 17 through 22, Ruth gets back to Naomi and shares of the favor with Naomi in word and in action. She shares the food because it says that she ate and she was satisfied and had leftovers. She, so she brought it back. And so Naomi got to eat the food, but then she shared the favor and story. There's, there's this guy who, 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 who let me glean and he, he showed me favor. And, and Ruth says, Blessed is, or Naomi says, blessed is the man who took notice of you, who saw your need, saw your situation. Remember how Ruth says, why have I found favor in your eyes? So blessed is the man whose eyes saw your situation and comforted and gave you favor and provision. Blessed is that man. Verse 20 which is where the series is named after. Naomi can't stand it anymore. She says, now may, he, may he be blessed by the Lord. And he's speaking to the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Because at that moment, she realized, hey, God has not forsaken me, has not forsaken Ruth, the, the, the living. But at the same time, because this guy named Boaz, he fits the qualifications of this lever in marriage. Naomi was understanding God has not forsaken the dead either. That the name of her husband and sons would, the name would be redeemed. The name would be restored. The name with the family line would continue on. And then verse 23 tells us how long this lasted. Several weeks that she would go to Boaz's. 
So this story we're reading, it's not like day one was this and day two she tries to marry him. For several weeks she worked in the fields of Boaz and for several weeks he treated her even greater than the law had demanded for her, him to treat her. That's the situation that's going on. So what are the truths? And I hope this is encouraging to you as much as it was to me as I wrote it. Number one, if you're taking notes, like Ruth, we are all in search of favor. Like Ruth, we're all in search of favor. We're all in search of grace. We're all in search. Ruth was a widow. She was a foreigner. She was broken. And even though she knew that she had her privilege was spelled out in the law, she knew that she was still at the mercy of another. And the reality is that's the life of the human being. When we wake up, when we are born, we're, we're seeking favor. We're seeking approval. We're seeking acceptance. We're all seeking favor. We're all broken. We do many things to find it. We look to many different people to find it. Or some of us just sit back and wait that it magically will happen. But what we see is, is that just like Ruth, when we're seeking favor and we're seeking grace, we're seeking acceptance. What I want to tell you this morning is just like Ruth number two is that we learn that grace has already been seeking us. That in all our lives, whether we're born in South Mississippi or the other side of the world, the reality is that we are born broken, foreigners, hopeless. And our DNA and our, and our wiring, we, we are wired in a way that we are searching and seeking. For some of us, we've made a shipwreck of our life trying to find what our heart and our lives is missing. We've made dumb decision after dumb decision. We've settled for bad relationship after bad relationship. We've settled for, for empty, empty, empty promises over and over again. If you do this, you will feel this. And the reality is we are searching and seeking to find favor somewhere. And I want to tell you this morning that both, listen to me, it doesn't matter where you're seeking it, that grace has already been seeking you. Grace isn't just something that we well up on our own. No, listen to me. Some 2,000 years ago, the God the Father sent God the Son to come and live a, a life to completely satisfy the law of God, the same law that Boaz was fulfilling. The very Son of God fulfilled that same law to the T. Then he died. And when he died on the cross, he didn't just die for the sins of, of some, but for the sins of all. And it wasn't just sins that I had committed. It's every sin that I had committed, am committing, and will commit. Even, the, even the, the sins that I have in my life where I've been seeking to find this favor and seeking to find this acceptance that Christ even died to, say, to, to, to free me of those and, to, and, to, and save me of those and cleanse me of those. And listen to me this morning. I want you to know that no matter where you are, grace is seeking you. And the season... Saint goes, yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, I'm telling you too, child of God, that grace is still seeking you. Grace is still coming after you. Seeking to dominate. That's what it means to be a spirit-filled life, is to be dominated completely in control of the spirit, that the spirit of God is chasing after you still. Number three, like Ruth, humility and gratitude should always be our reaction to God's favor. May we never lose the wonder of God's favor, of God's grace. Do, you, do we truly know our condition? How helpless and hopeless. The reality is, is, <laughs> Connecting it to this story, upon this Bible, I can preach the privileges of coming to know God and walking into his presence. It is our privilege to have him as father. Oh, but at the same time, even though it's our privilege, there's still this, this humility 
and gratitude for the fact that he would look on us and find favor. Some of us need to be checked right there. We need to be hip checked in a little bit because we live life oftentimes as if that isn't the case. That we can nonchalantly call ourselves a Christian and this, that, and the other, and we treat God like he isn't who he is. Every time we think about grace and every time we think about the gospel, our response should be, why have I found favor? Why have I found acceptance? The reality is our mind should be, like I think Ruth probably was, is if I go here, I'm not going to be accepted. If I go here, I am going to be condemned. If I go here, I am going to be ridiculed. If I get here, I, I, I will have to live up. And what happens is when we get to God, what we realize is, None of those things happen. We find acceptance and comfort and provision. <laughs> and our response to that should be put, why? And if at one moment you can think of anything that says, well, because I, you've missed it. Because I said, you've missed it. <laughs> Boy, I, I grew, no, you missed it. Why, oh God, have you found favor Oh, because I went to VBS. No, 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 no. Why have I found favor? Oh, just because he's a gracious king. That's the only reason why. Number four, I know we're getting there. Number four, God remains faithful to his promise and his people. And I want you to catch this, in life and death. Naomi says he has not forsaken the living or the dead. That God is faithful, A, what we see, to his promise and to his people. In life and in death, even when Israel had forsaken God, he had not forsaken them. When it seems like life is bleak and hard and the road is difficult, God remains faithful. In the New Testament, we understand that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. Is that we're reading a story that has happened. I mean, we're, we're reading a story for them. It was, it was happening. They couldn't see everything, but <clears throat> even, though go through the, even though I walk through the shadow of death, I fear not even for you are with me. Here's the, gosh, this is a comforting thing about a God who's faithful in life and in death. In all of our lives, if we have the privilege to get old and get sick and have our family around us, we don't all get that. That if we're in a room, say, if it's my, if I'm going to die, right? There's a moment that Ashley and I hope my girls are all grown and Ashley's still with me and all those things are there and they're there with me, I hope selfishly, I, have to, I go before. Uh, but anyway, we, we're there, and she's holding my hand, and my girls are holding my hands, and maybe I got grandkids and, and things like that, and I'm, I'm praying for those things. But what happened is, is that there's going to be a moment that they can't walk with me any further. They can, they can walk with me to a certain point, but they can't walk with me any further. But Christ never leaves our side. That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with me. And so I need to tell you this morning that that God is faithful to his promises and his people in life and in death. Number five. This has just been abundantly clear to me is that God's word is where we seek, find, and live in his favor. What was it that set up chapter two? God's law. What was it that set up this lady named Ruth to go to this field? to be taken care of, 
the laws of God. What was it that set up this privilege? What was it that set up the gracefulness of Boaz? The law. The laws of God, listen to me, the laws of God presented and created this hedge, this fortress, this provision, if you will, because the law was given so ultimately that God's covenant people could display his character among the world. And what we see in this story, the laws of God, contrary to our popular lackadaisical, I know that's not a word, apathetic way of Christianity that we look at God's law in disdain because it's inconvenient. So we slap legalism to it. What we understand, yes, I understand the law cannot save, but the law of God was given so that we could walk in his ways and communion with him. So we see her seeking to find favor. We see her finding favor and desiring to remain in that favor. How can we do that? By the beautiful, perfect, law's word of God. Lastly, how do we see Christ in this? And this is about to be a super long list and I did it very intentional. I'm not expecting you to write these down. How do we see Christ in this story? It's a dude named Boaz. Let me show you this list. First of all, Boaz was a man of standing. He had all the resources, but he noticed the needy. He knew his workers. So when he saw one there, he he provided protection and provision for the needy. He, He invited the needy to drink his water. Does that sound like another story that we know in John chapter four of the Samaritan woman who's invited to drink water? He showers the poor with abundant grace. He accepts her where she is. Listen to me. He fulfills the demands of the law, yet goes a step further and showers her with grace. Listen to me. Boaz is our picture of Christ. If you're looking at what this story at a greater scheme is, you know who Ruth represents? Me and you. Naomi represents the Jews, the Israel. Ruth represents Gentiles, the foreigner. And the reality is every single one of us come when we come into the presence of God, we have no standing, just like we have no standing. Oh, but thanks be to God, there was a greater Boaz. His name's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And just like we see his acceptance of Ruth, he accepts me and you. He sees our need, a hopelessness. So yeah, where do we see Christ? You just look through the chapter and look at Boaz and how he responds to see if you think of any New Testament verses about Christ. And here's a, another note. I think it's important for me and you to grasp this morning. I promise I'm done with this. It stuck out to me big time that Boaz's workers knew how he would respond to Ruth. So even without his permission, they, they let her glean and protected her. They were, she was already being protected before Boaz ever got there. His workers knew his heart. And so they provided a safe place for the foreigner and the widow to be. The church must know the heart of Christ in order to share the heart of Christ with those who need it. How do they know that Boaz would respond like that? How, did, how could they know that Boaz wouldn't tell her to leave? They had spent time with him. They knew his heart. Every day, probably came, may the Lord be with you. May the Lord Bless you, they knew his heart. And, he, and they knew that when Boaz wasn't at the house or in the field, they were his representatives and they carried his heart. They carried his desires in the fields. Ultimately, they treated her as Boaz had treated them.
Church, we're called to love others as Christ has loved us. I know that's a lot of things going on in different places. But I think, I hope we've seen the gospel. We've seen take home truths. But I hope you're seeing that, being able to see that greater storyline through this. I'm going to pray. I don't really know how to respond and how to move, but I know the Lord, the same Lord that orchestrated the irony of Ruth walking into Boaz's field is the same Lord that's meeting with us this morning. And that morning she got up, she probably just thinking, that's just got to do this. But what she didn't realize, it was the Lord that woke her up that morning and told her, said, go. But she didn't know that it was the Lord who moved Boaz's heart to treat her the way that he did. It was a good dude, but it was the Lord. It was the Lord sovereignly doing all of those things. And the Lord is sovereign here in this morning. And whatever he's calling you to do, I know he can do that. So I'll be standing down front. You come talk and pray. I'm here if you need to use the front up here as an altar. If you, if you need to give your life to Jesus, if you need to, you've been seeking for favor in all the wrong places this morning, I want you to know that there's a holy God who is infinitely worthy of all, all of us to call him Lord. And we are infinitely sinful in the exact opposite of that. But if you come to him this morning, you will not find condemnation. You will not find ridicule, violation, any of those things. What you will do is find acceptance, privilege, position, all of those things. We just come to him. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you just that your word is your word. That we can read this beautiful story and we can see your heart. We can see your heart for the outsider, the widow, the downcast, the, the foreigner, the needy. God, we can see ourselves in, in Ruth. But I'm thankful that we see someone greater than Ruth and that's a man named Boaz. And God, we thank you that we know of a man greater than Boaz whose name is Christ Jesus. So God, I pray that today that more than anything, we see the goodness of your gospel, the privilege of knowing you. God, may you convict us of apathy or whatever we've been addressing you with, whatever we've been coming to you with, God, that we will, you will bring us back to a place of, of humility and gratitude and the favor that you've shown us. God, teach us your heart so that we can show it. So in Christ's name we pray, amen.